Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. And Paul the Apostle sensed a deep need that was not obvious on the outside, but was there. And he addresses it. It's the need for unity. Now that word was a word for that church, but really it's a word for the church today. And it has been through all the centuries of history. We have an adversary who will try and divide. Many of us are familiar with the analogy that each believer is an individual stone in a single structure. Once we've put our faith in Christ, each of us becomes a part of something much bigger than race, nation, or background. In today's message, Pastor Ed will teach on the importance of the unity we have in Christ. Although our enemy seeks to divide us, Pastor Ed encourages us through the words of Paul to stand strong and strive for unity. Just as the saying goes, united we stand, divided we fall. Well, let's join Pastor Ed in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 with part 1 of his message entitled, Being One. We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians, and I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. One of the great needs in the church is the need for unity. It's very easy to divide a church. It's very difficult to unite a church. Our propensity is towards division. It goes against our natural inclination to unite. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different families of origins and doing things different ways. Some are very well off financially. Some are struggling financially. Some have a lot of education. Some have very little education. Some have backgrounds uh, very different than you do. And to bring people together and have unity with all of those different backgrounds is very, very difficult. Paul the Apostle loved the church at Philippi. There was a deep connection between him and them. They supported him when others didn't. They stood by him when others didn't. And Paul the Apostle sensed a deep need that was not obvious on the outside, but was there. And he addresses it. It's the need for unity. Now that word was a word for that church, but really it's a word for the church today. And it has been through all the centuries of history. We have an adversary who will try and divide, who will try and stir people up to get angry at one another so that he can come in and conquer. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship 
with the Spirit. Have any tenderness and compassion. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Any one of us would love to have our name on the rolls at the church at Philippi. It was a church that was willing to sacrifice, willing to serve, and willing to suffer for Christ. It was a church that was marked by joy and commitment. It was truly a church that would have been a privilege to be a part of. But Paul, like a skilled physician, saw something that wasn't evident to the outward eye. There was an intuition, a sense, that there was the beginning of serious problems. You go to the doctor and you feel fine, but then they take the blood test and the results come back and you realize, hmm, there's a problem. And sometimes things aren't obvious, but they're there. And Paul, in tune with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to them about the problem that he sees on the horizon beginning to rise. The problem of disunity. And he addresses it. Disunity can rip a church apart, can break down the walls of fellowship, could wound and hurt people in such a dramatic way that they never fully recover. And Paul recognizes that. In the Dallas newspaper, there was a story of a church. They were fighting each other. They had gone to the public court and they had decided to settle their issue there against the admonition of Scripture. Don't take a brother or sister to court. But they decided that that's what they were going to do. When it came before the court, they said, this is more of an ecclesiastical matter. Why don't you take it before your denomination before you take it before the court? So they did. The denomination came to see where the problem started, what the problem was. Why were these people so divided at one another's throat, ready to divide the church? It all started at a fellowship meeting in the fellowship hall. One of the elders sat next to a youth, and they were serving out meals at the fellowship meeting. And the server heaped up all a huge portion on that youth's plate. But when it came to the elder, they didn't give him very much, only a couple of slices of ham. The elder got upset. The moral of the story, be careful those who are in charge of our fellowships. What you serve the deacons and the pastors and the elders. But it all started from that. And they went through with the lawsuit and they wound up 
dividing the church? Amazing. Amazing. What will divide people? Paul goes on and he gives us now a prescription for avoiding division within the church. In that first verse, in verse 1, he tells us to think about how God relates to us. Think about how God relates to you. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, again and again you see four times over that if, 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 if any, if any, if any. It's this clause. What he's doing is he's using it rhetorically. It's not a matter of a question. He's assuming that it is so. It's like this. If this be the case, as it certainly is. If this be the case, as it certainly is. If you've received anything from becoming a part of the family of God from being brought into the kingdom, being made a child of God. And then he enumerates some of those things we received. The encouragement we have in Christ. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, do you remember the way God sent encouragement to you? You were in the crisis. Your world fell apart. Brothers and sisters... The family of God came around and lifted you up right when you needed it. The phone call came at the right time. The letter, the note came at the right time. People you didn't even know. God knows how to encourage us. And he sends encouragement our way. I think of the Old Testament story of King Saul trying to destroy King David. The future king, David, was so discouraged, but his good friend, the son of King Saul, encouraged David. Let me read it to you. First Samuel chapter 23, then Jonathan, son of Saul, left and went to David at Horesh. He encouraged him through God. And the NIV reads, he helped him find strength in God. Remember that person who knelt beside you and helped you find encouragement in God. Remember that person who opened the Bible and shared a scripture with you and said, I have a verse for you. God placed it on my heart. Paul is saying, think back, remember back what God has done for you. Remember his relationship to you. Any encouragement? Well, yeah. And then he goes on, the comforting love we have in Christ. It says, any comfort from his love? Have you ever been in a place where you can't sleep at night? And you're overwhelmed with some problem? And God's spirit just comes and he visits you? Maybe it's a Bible verse that jumps out of the scriptures and it becomes an anchor for you during times of storm. Maybe it's just the Spirit of God who comes to you and you could feel like you're being enfolded in the arms of God, like a father with his son, like a mother 
with her child. The Holy Spirit speaks comforting words to you. I still remember one of the church services wasn't here, but a woman came to me. She was going to have a major surgery, and she was so fearful. She was going to have a hysterectomy, and she worried about dying. And she said, Pastor, I don't want anybody to know. We can't tell anybody in the church. I said, no, I I won't say a word. That Sunday morning, a prophecy came forth. Don't be afraid. You will not die. I'm going to be with you. She said, Pastor, did you say anything? No, I didn't say anything. (laughs) God knows right where we are how to encourage us. Remember those times that God spoke to you when you were all out there alone on your own and God just reached down. Fellowship of the Spirit we have in Christ. He says, if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, to think that God comes to dwell in us, to think that he fills you with the Spirit. Remember the times of worship? It may be recent and maybe in the past, where you felt the Holy Spirit just engulf you and you felt like you were walking six feet above ground. You know, before you felt like you were six feet under the ground. Now you feel like, oh God, you lifted me up. And it was in the context of a move of the Holy Spirit. Remember praying in the Spirit. Remember God just coming and and doing something supernaturally. Those special times of visitation where he just stops in. Paul is mounting his argument. He's bringing it along and he's bringing us along. He's saying, okay, here's an argument for unity. Here's an argument why you shouldn't retaliate. Here's an argument why you shouldn't undermine. Here's an argument when you should, why you should just let God be God and leave it in his hands. Because... He's encouraged you. That incredible love that he's comforted you with. I think of 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 1, who says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from Christ. And then he goes, any tenderness, compassion we have in Christ. In the King James, it uses the term bowels. It's an antiquated word. Words change meanings. But what it really means is from the very deep down in the pit of your stomach, have you felt God just reach out and lift you. Reach out and embrace you with tenderness and mercy. Remember the Mount Everest of your sins that he simply took and he cast it into the deepest sea. Remember when he cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. And what Paul is arguing is don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Don't be exacting with other people. They're going to pay for that. I'm going to make sure things are made right. Remember what he forgave and just washed away. You, what has he done? 
Well, you don't know what she, you don't know what he, he knows. He knows. God, we lay it before you. Oftentimes, we forget that the church is a house. It's a house of unity. The enemy would love to come and divide us. Do you know it's estimated that the American Revolution would have been won in one year if all the colonies had united together? But because there was disunity, it took eight long years of bloodshed. The enemy knows that a church united together has great strength, and he will do everything he can to divide it. And so what Paul the Apostle is saying at this moment is he's saying, do everything you can in remembrance of what God has done for you, reflect it in your relationship with the body of Christ. This should be a house of unity. Why does a husband go out to work? Why does a wife go out to work? to support the family. And when they come into their home, they want to have it as a refuge, a place filled with love and, and a place where they can find support and strength. And so that's why they, the husband works as hard or the wife works as hard. When people are battered and beaten and bruised in this world, attacked by the enemy of their soul, and attacked by the culture, they want to come into the church and find a place of security. They want to find a place where they could be lifted up. They shouldn't find a war. They shouldn't find people at opposite sides of the aisle fighting with one another. They shouldn't be caught in the crossfires. How many young Christians and older Christians alike. I remember pastoring in central Pennsylvania. It was a church that had gone through a very difficult split years, years, years before I had come. And I, it may have been like a decade before, I still met people that didn't attend church and were broken and bitter and hadn't walked inside of a church since that split. People are wounded by disunity. And Paul the Apostle, to a church that he loves, began to feel the pulse. Hmm. Began to look at the spiritual realm and said, I need you to recognize that unity must be a priority. This unity in the body of Christ is a mark of spiritual disease. When we pull down and put down and keep down and we build walls and we burn bridges, we are advocating for disunity. As a church, we must work at unifying. It's not natural to us, but we have to do it. Remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer? Before God, he went and he said, Father, I pray that they may be one as you are in me and I am in you. He prayed for the unity of the church. He knew the enemy would come again and again and again and again to try and disrupt and break. 
the enemy will try and bring disunity in your home between husband and wife between children in the church because he's out to destroy Jesus prayed they may be one there should be something mystical something mysterious something unexplainable about our unity It is the great witness to the world that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus died for our sins. One of the great testimonies of the church that Jesus rose from the dead, that he died on the cross, that he ascended to heaven, that the gospel is true, is the unity that you find in the midst of believers. And so he prayed. Paul is praying that we promote unity and he's telling us to reflect on a relationship with God. Now he goes on to tell us to work on our heart's attitudes. To work on our attitude. In verses 2 to 3. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Notice, what Paul the Apostle begins with is our mindset. In the Greek language, verse 2, it uses mind twice. At the end of verse 2, he talks about our mind, this mindset that we have. There should be a mindset to build unity. There should be a mindset to build bridges. There should be a mindset to build the body of Christ to bring one another together. It doesn't mean we all agree. It doesn't mean that we all think the same way. You don't do that in a household. You wouldn't do that in the church. You have a thousand people plus people are going to think differently. That's normal We don't want uniformity, we want unity. And they're two different things. I like the way Bill Hybels said it. The mark of community, true biblical unity, is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of a reconciling spirit. Conflict that goes underground poisons the soil and hurts everyone eventually. It really does. I was reading something uh, that I thought was pretty humorous. Uh, about these two people that meet and they're both Christians in a conversation with a person I had recently met I asked are you a Protestant or a Catholic my new acquaintance replied a Protestant I said me too what franchise he answered Baptist me too I said Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist Northern Baptist he replied Me too, I shouted. He continued to go back and forth. Finally, I asked, Northern, conservative, fundamental Baptist, Great Lakes Region Council of 1879, or Northern, conservative, fundamental Baptist, Great Lakes Region Council 1920, 1912? He replied, Northern, conservative, fundamental Baptist, Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, heretic! Die, heretic. Oh. I mean, we divide over such stupid things. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
This is a wonderful truth taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. And as trying times enter into your life, it's important to continually keep this at the forefront of your thoughts. Each day here on Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will be teaching verse by verse through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Voice of Faith, subscribe to our Twitter feed at VOF Radio 1. Again, to follow the Voice of Faith Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Voice of Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Voice of Faith.